Today is Wednesday, February 7th, 2024. This is Quick Start from CBN News. I'm Dan Andros. The House votes on Mayorkas, and a country music legend passes away at 62. We'll have those top stories and more on today's podcast, where we bring you news from a Christian perspective. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating. You can email us if you'd like. Quick Start Podcast at CBN.org. We're getting through the news of the cray. Joining me now on the podcast to get through it, Billy Hallowell and Trey Gones Phillips. And on the focus, guys, we have a there's a crazy law happening in Scotland, Billy, that you're going to be looking at. Yeah. Yeah. It's just it's completely wild. Uh, these these parents who could potentially go to jail over the transgender issue. So we'll, we'll get into all that. Yep. And Trey, you caught up with singer Zach Williams for the main thing. Yeah, yeah. So he was on a recent episode of Faith versus Culture, and he has a new book coming out. So we talked a lot about his testimony, and it's really incredible to learn more about his story. Yeah, and if you're not familiar with his name, you definitely know some of his songs. He's got some yeah. fantastic songs, a great singer. So looking forward to that conversation. All coming up on the podcast today. And I don't want you to forget here about our other podcast, DC Debrief with John Stolness. Make sure you're subscribed to that. It's once a week on Friday, rounding up the happenings in Washington, DC. And Billy's Newsmakers podcast, Monday through Friday, one full-length interview. No edits, just the full conversation there that you can check out on the Newsmakers podcast. All right, housekeeping's out of the way. With no further ado, we're going to head over to the news in 90 seconds. The Republican-led effort to impeach Department of Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas failed after the House of Representatives voted 214 to 216 against the measure. Four Republican congressional members changed their vote, which led to the defeat. Blake Moore, Ken Buck, Tom McClintock, and Mike Gallagher were among those who flipped. Moore switched his vote at the last minute to break the tie, which outlets are reporting was done to allow Republicans to bring the issue back to the House floor in the future. Mayorkas had been criticized by Republicans for what they say was the Biden administration's failure to secure the country's southern border. And Toby Keith, a major country music star who sold tens of millions of records, has died at the age of 62. He had announced previously in June of 2022 that he had been diagnosed with stomach cancer. And the star said it was a debilitating illness. The statement said he fought his fight with grace and dignity and over his more than 30 year career, he had many, many big hits and was known for his support of the military and his love of the country. He survived by his wife, Trisha, and three children. All right, guys. So this news, obviously, about Toby Keith, you know, I personally, I had not seen that he was sick, that he had gotten cancer. And so I was pretty shocked to hear the news. And man, it's just sad to see. He talked about, I saw a clip of him on one of his last appearances before he passed away. He was on a podcast. He was talking about his faith, saying that he was a man of faith, that he believed in God. And, um, you know, look, that's that's all you can hope for in a situation like this, aside from the miraculous healing is that someone has placed their faith in Christ. Sounds like he did, but man, just cancer, it's just awful, and it just seems to be everywhere. Yeah, 
No, it does. It seems like everybody knows somebody, right, who yeah. has gone through it or currently going through it, and it's heartbreaking. I, I did I did know about his battle. He had talked about it a couple of times. Uh, Fox News had a great interview with him a while back about his faith, um, but really tragic. I mean, the guy was young. Yeah. Yeah, I think stories like this are just, I, it's a cliche, I guess, to say it, but it, it's true. It reminds you how fragile life is, right, and that uh, we're, we we have a certain amount of time on earth and we don't know what, what exactly that time is going to be. So as believers, we need to be wise stewards of the yeah. time that we have. Be wise with the, the present because the present is all you have guaranteed, right? We, we're not promised uh, tomorrow. Um, so yeah, just, just being a good, a good steward being uh, wise with the time you've been given. Yeah. And thinking eternally too, because even when you're facing something yeah. like cancer now, I hate even saying this because I, you, 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 unless you're going through it, you can't really know what your mindset's going to be. I would hope that my mindset would be one of pointing people to Christ in the midst of whatever happened in my health circumstance. If God were to call me home or to spare me from the illness You'd want to use that time to be able to, like anything actually in life, right? That should be our posture, thinking eternally, like how can I point people to Christ in whatever trial, whatever illness, whatever life challenge I'm going through right now. And I think some of the pitfalls of life, especially here in the United States, where it's relatively comfortable, is this the trapping that we're owed or that we should have the comforts in life that we sh- were expected this thing and that thing or this retirement or this time where we're able to do all these things. And we can start to feel like we're owed that. And really we're not. And that kind of distracts from our purpose in life, which should be to point people to Christ, to glorify him in all that we do. And so if we have that posture of that, glorifying God first and whatever comes my way, I think you'll be able to handle things better. But again, easier said than done because I haven't had to go through any of that yet. Yeah, I remember years ago when Tammy Faye Baker, obviously a a personality and name that evoked a lot of different things from a lot of different people. But I remember when she was dying, I think she had lung cancer and she was on the final leg, like very, very sick. And I remember she went on Larry King very sick. Like, I don't even know, probably a couple weeks before she died or even a week before she died yeah. or a couple days before. And she, she only went on so she could talk about Jesus and share her faith. And it was almost painful to watch, but it stuck with me because I thought, man, that's somebody, you know, again, say what you want to say. There's a debate around, but she took that moment to say, I want to point people to God. And this is one of my last chances to do that. So I'll go on TV looking sick, being sick and, and do that. And I thought, yeah. man, that is Powerful. It is powerful. I mean, think of how many people you see that are desperately clinging. And I'm talking about probably unbelievers, secular folks who maybe have some level of notoriety, but they don't have faith. They cling to to their legacy and trying to have their name remembered for the things they did. All that stuff is so fleeting and really worthless at the end. Like, wow. So if I was good at my job or I was good at a sport or I was good at playing an instrument. I mean, that doesn't, none of that stuff matters in the end, right? And so you have to look at things of eternal value and be pointing to them and be focused on them. And I think so many of us in our own way, you know, probably fall short on that. Hmm. Yeah, I, I definitely think that's that's true. I know there, I, I think people going through illness, it, it can, because you're really aware then of how fragile your life is, 
I think it kind of presents you with two different op- opportunities, either to kind of lean into that and be really discouraged and be down. And, and certainly that comes in waves and there's nothing wrong with feeling those emotions. Like mm-hmm. everybody feels those kinds of emotions of being really discouraged. But as believers, we kind of have to try to force ourselves into having more of a, a an eternal mindset, like Tammy Faye Baker, like you were, you were saying, Billy, uh, she knew that ultimately her allegiance is to Christ, that that's what I need to be using my time here on earth for is talking about the gospel, sharing the hope of Christ with other people. So, um, yeah, I think illness puts that in our faces, like a, a bright neon sign the way other things don't. Yeah. And Toby Keith did touch a lot of people with his music. So praying for the family of Toby Keith and all those who were, uh, you know, fans of his and might be grieving at that loss today. But we're going to head over to the focus story now and a free speech watchdog. They're warning about a new proposal in Scotland. Good land parents behind bars. What is the story with this? Yeah, this one is is kind of wild. Um, I spoke with Lois McClatchy. She's a communications officer at ADF International, and, and she sort of took us through what this looks like. She said, you might think it was a joke or a piece of satire, but unfortunately it is the reality in my country of Scotland. There are proposals that would ban so-called conversion therapy. And she said a lot of times when people think about conversion therapy, they think of terrible treatment, worst case scenarios, you know, abuses that happen when people are, and of course, again, this is another flammable topic with a lot of different definitions of what conversion therapy is. But because there are so many definitions, that's what opens up the danger here. Um, She said, rather than just being something, addressing something that is abuse, this goes much deeper. She said that it actually goes much further and intervenes in what a parent can advise a child or a pastor can advise a congregant uh, to do. And she gave this example, and I want to read it because I think it's an important one. She said, if a parent were to more than once tell their child, say their 11-year-old son, that he was not allowed to wear a dress to school and lipstick and high heels and to dress as a girl when he's a boy, you could potentially be guilty of committing conversion therapy, of being coercive, and therefore face a criminal trial and potential prison sentence of up to seven years. Now, this is, of course, the proponents are saying that's not true. That's not what's going to happen. But the critics are looking at this and saying this is way too general. The language is very problematic. We don't really understand what exactly it's pointing to here. And uh, right now, yeah, this is you know, being considered, and it's it's deeply, deeply concerning to many people inside of Scotland. Yeah, should be as well. I mean, anytime there's something vaguely written like that you don't want to just be like ah they'll probably not use it we've certainly seen that you can't risk that but how likely is this thing to become law well right now you know it's in a consultation period which basically lasts until april 2nd and adf international and other activists they're hoping that people will raise their voices and weigh in because this consultation period is when the government sort of listens to people on this and They say, okay, you know, tell us what you think. And so you get a chance to do that. The likelihood, it's a little complicated because the Scottish National Party, which is the ruling party of Scotland right now, and the Green Party, they've both gotten together behind this bill. And again, the political parties are obviously different there um, than what we have here. But when you combine those two parties, they apparently have the majority of seats in parliament. So, Mm. you know, with the two of them coming together, you have a pretty powerful coalition here. And, you know, she emphasized, look, we're in the very early stages of this, um, but it is possible that it could pass. 
are Christian leaders speaking out about this? If so, what are they saying? Yeah, they're addressing their worries about this pretty vocally. Obviously, ADF International deals with a lot of these Christian leaders and represents some of them. Um, so, you know, we were able to get some of that original comment there. But then we've got others, you know, in actual churches, not just nonprofits. The Catholic Church um, has apparently said of Scotland that they would challenge this, that they're prepared to take legal action. Um, and a representative for the Catholic Church said, quote, the worrying lack of clarity about what is meant by the term conversion practices could create a chilling effect in a criminalized advice or opinion given in good faith. I would. I want to add here that Fox News, when they were reporting on this, they said, "Look, you know, legal ramifications based on what's on paper could reportedly come to a person who really is trying to have a desire to help or protect somebody. Um, even in that case, you think you're doing the right thing, you could end up in the crosshairs of this potential legislation." Yeah. Um, why do you think this story matters to nations outside of Scotland? Obviously, we're across the pond over there. So what uh, is the relevance here? Yeah, I mean, we're usually a few layers back from Europe and descending into the abyss of chaos, right? So, you know, I, I think that's the main thing is whatever happens in some of these Western countries, it can easily trickle down into other countries. We're watching Pavi Razanen's case in Finland, yeah. you know, brought up on charges over Bible verses. We're seeing again and again and again that these things don't just stay within the borders of one country. Other Those countries where they've enacted it, they start to put pressure on other countries, as Lois said, to sort of fall in line. And so it is something that we do, especially in America. Look, there are some states inching towards this, like California, it, it feels in yeah. some ways. Yeah. It, I mean, it really is an interesting that, that they're leaving the language like that and expanding because it's really, it's really one of those language battles. It's similar to me, guys. I don't know if you agree with this assessment or not, but to the pro-life, pro-choice debate where they've sort of manipulated language and you know, if you look at something like the Human Rights Campaign and their website and they talk about the lies and the dangers of efforts to change sexual orientation through conversion therapy and they try to paint this danger picture, but the same people or similar thinking people will then turn around and completely push um, transgender surgeries on youth and pushing that, pushing them to change from the current identity that they have or that they were, you know, the, the sexual gender that they were born with, right? They don't, they don't want to keep people on that. They don't see any fears or dangers of switching that around, but then they'll turn around and say, wait a minute, you can't go in the other direction. And so it feels a little hypocritical to me, but it just seems like a, they're playing with definitions here. And um, it seems like the best interest of the child isn't in, in mind, perhaps. It's more just about agendas. That's what it feels like to me. Well, that's what it is. I mean, I don't <laughs> think it just feels that way. That's yeah. I mean, that is what it is, that, that this is something that is, people are trying to make this child abuse. If you won't affirm somebody's gender preference that you are abusing them, and it feels like it's covertly being codified. And so that's, I mean, again, you don't know what's in everybody's hearts, but right. it feels very much to be the case. Yeah, well, I think the scary irony is that it's being painted that if you don't affirm children who are identifying as transgender, like whatever sexuality, then that is child abuse. When in reality, affirming them and allowing them right. to move forward with irreversible treatments that, that cannot be changed or altered, that is actually child abuse. And it's something that is is being celebrated by 
so many in our culture right now, which I think is a it's a scary place to be and a, a sad place to be in that that's been so romanticized, and it's so protected that you're not allowed to say, wait a minute, um, perhaps altering a child's body so that they are incapable right. at you know at no once they there. once yeah. they get older they're incapable of of producing children or bearing children um and because of a decision they made when they were 12 years old like the fact that it's hard and and difficult to even make that statement without being <laughs> kind of run out of the public right. square is kind of mind-boggling like, and yeah. should be scary to everybody it should be when when the danger the supposed danger is only promoted one way then there's absolutely no and it's interesting when you see the people who have transition regret, they regret doing it. They have all very consistently said, then they're immediately shut out of and shunned from the LGBTQ community. They don't want to hear from them. They don't want to hear their voices anymore. That, that, that to me is very telling and it should be a major, major red flag on this issue. Well, certainly an interesting one to bring on our radar today, Billy, appreciate you uh, putting it, uh, on our screens, on our attention here, uh, but we got to move on over to the main thing right now. And Christian singer-songwriter Zach Williams spoke with Trey on a recent episode of Faith Versus Culture and opened up about his testimony, how the Lord used a song by Big Daddy Weave to radically change his life, and why Williams chose to share his story in a new memoir, Rescue Story. You can catch the full episode on the CBN News YouTube channel. A portion of that conversation is today's main thing. Many people will know you, obviously, as a recording artist. Uh, Chainbreaker was the first song that I heard uh, from you. You've also done collaborations with artists like Dolly Parton. Uh, you've worked with Kane uh, as well, and, and, and many others, more than we can, we can just name uh, right here. But the reason we wanted to talk to you today is because you've got a new book coming out. It's called Rescue Story. Tell us a little bit about why you decided to write this. It's sort of a memoir. Why did you decide to write this now? You know, I think for me, um, just over the years, um, you know, getting to meet fans and people that are coming to my concerts and the stories that I've shared about my life, I meet so many, you know, moms and dads and and, and people out in the audience uh, that are always saying, you know, you should write a book about, about your life. And, you know, for the longest time, I thought I don't have enough, you know, about my life to write a book about until I sat down and actually started writing this book, I realized, man, there's a lot in here. Um, you know, you, you think you have a pretty normal story or I do anyway, because I lived it. But then when you actually start putting it on paper and you start writing this thing out, you realize it's, it's a pretty incredible story. Um, you know, what God's done in my life, um, throughout my life. And then, you know, just in such a short time in the music industry as a Christian artist, um, you know, what, what he's done. And, you know, my prayer was always, you know, maybe, Maybe if I write this book, then then somebody else that's got a son or a daughter or a family member that's going through some of the things that I went through, they can, you know, they can find hope in, in the pages of this book and know that if it can happen for me, that it can happen for anybody, you know? Hmm. You know, for people who might not be familiar with your story, like I said, they may have heard your music, but they might not know how exactly you got into the Christian music genre. Uh, talk a little bit about your background, your faith story, how you came to Christ and how you ended up as an artist in CCM. Sure. Well, I grew up in church. Um, I grew up, my dad actually was a worship leader. So, you know, I, I remember, you know, some of my earliest memories of church were going to music practice with my mom and dad because my mom would sing at church and my dad played music. And so 
um, I was involved in church my entire life. I knew who Jesus was. I, I believed in Jesus. Um, but I got to a place in my high school years where, um, I guess you could say I kind of turned my back and ran. Um, I made some, some bad decisions in high school and I ended up losing a basketball scholarship to play in college and got in trouble for, for drug use. And, um, man, I thought my life was over and I, I kind of, went down a, you know, a downward spiral, I guess you could say, or kind of the wrong path. And I ended up playing in college, uh, for a year. But when I, when I ended up going to college my freshman year, I tore my ankle up and, Hmm. um, I picked my roommate's guitar up that first year of school. And that's when it all started happening for me. I, I I knew immediately when I picked up the guitar that this is what I wanted to do. And so I started playing music, uh, took some creative writing classes, started writing poetry, um, started writing songs and I carried a guitar with me everywhere I, I went for probably the next 10 years and played anywhere that anybody would listen. Uh, and in my late twenties, I joined a, a rock band and we started traveling and touring, um, which that just sent me down an even darker path because I, I thought in order to play music, I needed to live a certain lifestyle. If I was going to be in a rock band, that meant you did drugs and and you used alcohol on a daily basis and you just lived this reckless lifestyle. And so I lived that honestly for, you know, 10, 15 years of my life. I was, I went pretty hard and uh, didn't think about the next day. I just lived for the moment and I carried it into a marriage. I carried it into, you know, being a father and a husband. And um, there got to a place in my life where I was just sick of it all. And I, mm. if I didn't make some changes, I was going to, I was going to lose my wife and kids, and I didn't want to do that. I knew enough about God and, and who he was. Uh, I'd been in church enough to have the roots and the background uh, that I remember in the summer of 2012, I left for Europe uh, to go on tour in the span, and I was just at the end of my rope. I was I was ready for a change. I was sick of who I was. I was sick of what I was doing, and I just said, God, if you're real, prove it. And while we were on that trip, I was riding in a van one day, and a guy driving the bus was scanning radio stations. And out of nowhere, I hear this song called Redeemed by Big Daddy Weave come across the radio. Mm. And man, that song just hit me. You know, it struck a chord. And uh, I listened to the lyrics when I got to the hotel room. And I called my wife and I said, hey, I'm I'm done. You know, I'm out of here. And, you know, she couldn't believe it. But I came home from that tour and I quit my band and I canceled all my shows. And we found a church in our hometown. And within a year the church that we were going to asked me to help them launch a campus and come to work for them as a worship leader. And uh, while I was working there, I started writing Christian music and uh, I got invited to Nashville to write some songs. And I think my third trip to Nashville, I wrote Chainbreaker with some friends and uh, I sat on that song for six months and just would drive back and forth from Nashville to Arkansas and just pray that, you know, God would take this one song and use it. And so Chainbreaker started it, you know, and, and rescue story. Um, kind of feels like the appropriate title for this book because it is it's my rescue story i mean it's what god's done in my life um and 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 it's something that i want to share with the world now i've talked enough about it that i feel like there's something there that people can um relate to there's something there that people can find in the pages that are going to give them hope and and they're going to know that and like i said if god can do it for me he can he can do it for any one of us you write in your book about your parents too, and prayer playing a, a huge role in your parents' life, and how they were were really you know praying for the Lord's conviction in your life too. And uh, you you mentioned a prophetic word that your parents got, and your your dad's decision, and how he 
handled that and, and sharing that with you. Uh, talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, as early as I can remember, uh, as a kid, my parents would, you know, come in to my bedroom and I tuck me in, say a prayer. Um, you know, I always thought that, you know, as I got older, a lot of the times I was like, well, that's really sweet, you know, and they would pray Jeremiah 29, 11 over me a lot. And it was, you know, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord plans to prosper you, not to harm you, but for hope in the future. And I never really understood how, you know, prophetic um, praying that prayer over you know, your children's lives and over and over and over just believing and trusting that no matter what goes on in their lives, God's got it under control. Like his plans, his promises, his, his hopes for us are, are so much bigger than what we could ever imagine. He wants to give us, you know, the desires of our heart and, and then some. And so, um, I think just my parents having that, that prayer life and that, um, just faith and trust in the Lord, you know, they never wavered from that. And in all of those years of my life where I, I went from being this kid that went to church every Sunday to this kid for 15 years that, that didn't go to church unless it was Christmas or, or mother's day, you know? And, um, but they still trusted even when they wanted to give up, they just believed that God had a plan for my life. And it wasn't until I was in my thirties after I'd given my life to the Lord and, you know, was starting to write Christian music that my dad shared that story about, you know, me as a child being um, dedicated at this church we were going to in Florida. And, and they went down and had me dedicated at this church. And this pastor told my family that I would be a voice for a gener for my generation. And, you know, here I was for years of my life struggling with drugs and alcohol, playing in these rock bands and smoky bars and all these things. And my mom and dad, they would come sit in the audience. They would watch these concerts. They would watch me get drunk on stage. They would they would watch me use drugs, whatever. But they were always there, sitting there praying, you know, that God was going to take all of this mess basically and turn it into some message. And they would come home, make sure I could get home all right, pray for me, pray for my band, things like that. And so it was it was strange, you know, when when my dad tells me this. I'm 33 years old, and and he could have told me this, you know, when I was a kid. He could have told me when I was a teenager, but he felt like it wasn't the right time. He told me he didn't want to put pressure on me because he didn't want me to feel like there was something to live up to. But but when I started writing Christian music and he started listening to these these songs, he said, you know, God's given you a huge gift and an opportunity and, and a platform. And he said, that's that's why I'm sharing it with you now. He said, because I feel like you're ready to hear it. And so um, that was just, you know, that's one big example of you know how my parents continue to pray for me but it was it was so much more than that i mean it was years of that you know i was 33 years old when i gave my life to the lord after growing up in church with you know a, a dad who was a worship leader a mom who sang at church um you know it was just it took a long time but um they believed and trusted in god and i think if there's anything that this book is going to show is that being faithful and, and trusting in God is is really all we can do, you know. All right. Thanks for that conversation there. Wow, that was quite a powerful uh, testimony there from Zach Williams, really diving into his story. Yeah, yeah. He has an incredible story. And I think the faithfulness of his parents was what really struck me, that they would show up in these smoky bars and yeah. these dark venues, and they would just sit there, watch their son and pray for him. And then at, even when he's drunk, they were making sure as as best they could to get their adult son home and pray with him and the band before they left. So yeah, just the faithfulness of, of a praying parent, I think, is, is a, a really 
good encouragement from his story. Absolutely. All right. That's going to leave us with time here on the pod today for one last thing. And we're going to take a look at 1 Timothy 6.12. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. That's a great, I think, a great verse to remember, even in light of, of Zach Williams' story, right? The good fight of faith. Mm-hmm. Keep your faith no matter what you face. And I, th- I think we've seen that with so many people we mentioned on the show today. Absolutely. All right. Good spot to leave it on the Quick Start Podcast today. Don't forget, make sure you're on over at CBNnews.com daily and faithwire.com as well for more news from a Christian perspective. Lord willing, and that creek don't rise. We shall return tomorrow with more Friday Juniors up next. God bless. Great rest of your day. <laughs>